0: Congratulations to everybody. We, um, it's very delightful always to see a room full of candidates for initiation just before the moment of commitment. It's wonderful. What a wonderful sight. And it represents thousands of hours of teaching, preaching, encouragement, guidance. So I hope that each one of you even though today the the focus of your attention will be your Guru Maharaj, will be, remember everyone who brought you to be sitting on this cushion today. So for all those mentors, senior guides, who sometimes looked as if they got in your way, but were actually only testing, retesting, purifying the gold that is your heart through heating, purifying the, the nectar of sweetness that's inside the soul, By boiling the sugar juice and releasing the fragrance of bhakti from you by rubbing the sandalwood. So rubbing, boiling, uh, heating, these are not very comfortable things but they bring us in a very purified form to where we are today. This is the process of yoga. So with that remembrance we shall say something about the ten offenses today you'll be taking a promise to chant 16 rounds, follow four regulative principles. But did you know that there's another 10 regulative principles? And that is to follow or to avoid the 10 offenses to the holy name of Krishna. If we follow these by avoiding them, we rise. And if we don't follow them, then we fall. It's that serious. So they come to us from the... Padma Purana. In the beginning of creation, Lord Brahma, the head of our Sampradaya, he heard this very special sound, Tapa, from the outside of the universe, and he realized that this was meditation, so he went into meditation. And for this process of yoga, there has to be a sankalpa, there has to be a mental resolve, a determination, I will do this thing. There has to be a purushartha, a goal that you wish to achieve, and there has to be a, uh, an, an abideya, a hita, a, uh, a process, an upaya for reaching that goal. But it begins with making a mental result so that you have. If we follow the yama niyam of the process of yoga, the do's and the don'ts, then we should be very successful. If you don't, these will act as a virodi or an obstacle on the path of devotion. So let us reflect on what they are. So from the Padma Purana, the Kanda, chapter 25, verses 5 to 18. <speaking in Hebrew> to blaspheme devotees who have dedicated their lives to chanting the holy name of Krishna. The holy name who is identical with Krishna will never tolerate such blasphemous activities even from one who passes as a great devotee. And she, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur, he says in his commentary, he says, even if you are a substantial devotee, an experienced devotee, and the person whom you offend is a junior devotee, a new devotee, or an inexperienced devotee, still the holy name of the Lord We'll take that as an offense. Why? Because someone who has taken the holy name of Krishna is dear to Krishna. He immediately becomes dear to Krishna. And we don't know, none of us know, how dear that devotee is to Krishna. The example of what not to do is the example of Durvasa Muni. He didn't know that Maharaj Ambarish was very dear to Krishna. And he found out to his cost that for asking forgiveness... He could not even approach the Lord. He had to approach the devotee for forgiveness. Uh, so this is the, the biggest mistake and that's why it's Satamninda. Saduninda is number one uh, on the list. The second, Shivasya Sri Ya Iha Gunanamani Sakalam Diyabinam Pashyatsa Kalu Hitakaraha. To consider the names of Lord Shiva or Lord Brahma, to be on an equal level with the holy name of Lord Vishnu. We do not disrespect the demigods, but neither do we petition them to answer our calls for a more improved life. We know that they exist, we know that they are real, we honor them, we respect them as devotees of the Lord, but we do not petition them to increase our chances of happiness in this world. And that is the difference. And the guru gives what is known as the tatparia, the hierarchy. This is the hierarchy of gods and humans that we honor, <clears throat> that we worship, and we follow that. The word worship is an old Anglo-Saxon word. Worth shippa. Worth shippa. And it means that which I acknowledge has worth. Whoever I acknowledge to have worth, I worship that person by embracing that person into my heart as the object of my activities in this world. So we may not have Lord Shiva or Lord Brahma, those of us who have come from uh, perhaps an English background. We may not have that in our tradition, but everybody has the capacity to worship someone else who is famous, who is beautiful, who is a celebrity, who is rich, and to make that person the object of our attention. This can interfere with the chanting of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Before we came to Krishna consciousness, perhaps we didn't consider ourselves to be very religious. We certainly weren't devotional. Perhaps we had no interest in philosophy, but now we do. So now we're associating with religious people. And it may not just be devotees of Krishna. We may associate with people who are from different religious practices. That is fine. But the question is, who is in your heart? Who have you embraced to your heart? The Upanishad says that the heart is like a a cave, and in there there's an altar. And that is where you establish the Lord of your heart. Anyone else in that heart will be a distraction. So anybody who is famous, anybody who is rich, anybody who is successful, be careful. That is another form of demigod worship. Um, The uh, second offense is also the second commandment that Moses received from God on the mountain. Do not make a graven image do not make a sculpted image in your own imagination. Do not imagine Krishna to be something other than he actually is. So it's our duty not to worship the Krishna of our imagination, but from today to hear from our Guru Maharaj, the Krishna of reality. And perhaps one will be less comfortable than the other, but I can assure you that in the end, the Krishna of reality is much more important than the Krishna of our uh, imagination um, number three is guru-aravagya agya means the order guru means to reject the order or disobey the order of the spiritual master why would you do that? because you consider his instruction not to be relevant to you you consider that he's an ordinary person today none of you will consider your guru to be an ordinary person but today is the beginning of the rest of your life. And it is very natural for one's focus, one's concentration, to become dissipated by the passage of time. It happens. Today's initiates also are tomorrow's forgetful people. So please kindly don't be forgetful. The Guru has taken this responsibility for you, you've taken the responsibility to be a good disciple. It is said that where the two meet together, where our search for God and God's search for us, where the two meet together, there you'll find the guru. But when we drift, and we can drift in these ten ways, either to become envious of the guru's instruction, or to become envious of his success, or to become envious of another Vaishnava, this is not very helpful. Guru means uh, heavy, one who is heavy with knowledge. Or when we see a heavyweight wrestler, we say, he is guru. A heavyweight boxer, he is guru. Someone who is heavy with knowledge, he is guru. But someone who is heavy with the knowledge of our ultimate good, our, uh, our uh, shayas, as opposed to our prayas, that person can give us instructions to our ultimate good, and the difficult thing is they don't always feel to be the best instructions for me right now. So sometimes we have devotees that say, for me right now, I feel that Krishna consciousness is like this. This is this third offense. We care about your feelings, but your feelings are not as important as the Guru's instructions. Number four. Uh, I've got to tell you a story. Srila Prabhupada was walking in Mayapur and there was a puddle and he stepped over the puddle and walked up a short bank by taking the help from a devotee's arm. And when he got to the top of the bank, he threw the devotee's arm away. And all the others on the morning walk were looking and said, why did Prabhupada do that? He was only trying to help him. And Prabhupada walked a few paces and he turned around and he said, so this is rejecting the guru. He said, you have helped me cross over the puddle of the material world You've helped me become elevated up the bank of the material world, my consciousness. And now I throw the guru away. So this is a very good illustration, and we remember uh, the story. And it's also the tendency for Mayavad, that at some point the guru disappears and it's just me and Krishna. In the Vaishnava consideration, the guru is always standing. And Prabhupada said... He said, how is this possible? He said, this is a great... Prabhupada did not use this word very often, but he said it's a great, <coughs> a great mystery. How is it that if, when you want to see Krishna and you choose someone to stand in between you and Krishna as the transparent via media... Okay? One time he was asked in London, what is a guru? And every time he was asked, what is a guru? He gave different instructions. So one time he just took his glasses off and he said, now I can see you. Now I can see you better. He said, Guru, and he held up his glass, he said, Guru is transparent via media. So when you have chosen someone to stand right in between you and Krishna, how does that mean that you can see Krishna more clearly? So Prabhupada said, this is the great mystery of the disciplic succession. You want to see Krishna, Krishna wants to see you, but there's someone standing in between you and Krishna. You see, the natural tendency of the non Vaishnav would to be saying, Excuse me, Guru Mahaj, do you mind standing to the side? I just got to see Krishna today. The Vaishnav says, Excuse me, Guru Mahaj, I don't mind if I see Krishna or not. I just want to see you. This is the Vaishnav. So four is to blaspheme in the Vedic literature or literature in pursuance of the Vedic version. Scripture is the actual breathing of the Lord it is said that the vedas are the flapping of garuda's wings the mantras within the vedas are the sound of krishna's the beautiful sound of krishna's flute hmm? this is this is shastra shastra is the pole star around which everything revolves this is shastra so we don't minimize its authority and we don't artificially compare shastra to uh, any other scripture, which seems to be of a merit. In other words, there is Shastra, and then there is other items which purport to tell us about our relationship with God. We do not compare the two. We don't minimize uh, Shastra. It is not for us to discuss what is uh, literature in the Vedic version, you see. Otherwise, we have a free range to read any book. Any book that seems to be of value to us then becomes Shastra. No. Shastra means, it has a specific definition. Arthavada means to take the holy name of the Lord and to, uh, or, or to take Shastra and to create a, an interpretation. One time they went to the Shankaracharya of Jagannath Puri and they asked him specifically, they said, this Hare Krishna phenomenon. Have you heard of it? He said, of course. He said, it is now spreading all over the world. He said, yes, I've noticed. They said, what is their strength? He said, is it the mantra they're chanting? Is it the mantra they're chanting? He said, no. He said, when they meditate, he said, it is the silence between the words. When they say, Hari Krishna, do you notice there's a silence between the Hari and the Krishna? When they meditate on that silence... That gives them the spiritual strength to push on their movement all over the world. This is called Arthavada. Arthavada. To give some interpretation as to why the chanting of Hare Krishna is actually effective. Next, in quick succession, number six is Harinamni Kalpanam. Kalpana means fiction. So I can write a work of fiction, but you should know the difference between what is fact and fiction. Kalpana means fiction. So to consider that Hari Harinam is fiction or the the results of chanting Harinam is fiction or to think that chanting something else uh, is just as good or to consider that it is all um, exaggeration for religious purposes. Normally in any religion they tell you stories which will magnify the results of what you do, for the purposes of encouraging you to do it. But if you think that the holy name of the Lord has been somehow magnified or increased, or and it is just to induce you to some religious or pious activity, that it is all uh, hyperbole, uh, then this is a mistake. In uh, Edinburgh, Prabhupada just finished giving a class, and uh, one young guest asked him, And uh, Edinburgh was very dear to Prabhupada because uh, his teacher at Scottish Church's College was obviously from Scotland. And Prabhupada, as a young man, he had... um, One time he had uh, put forward this idea that the soul has another life after this one. And his Scottish teacher had said to him, he said, he said, laddie, he said, how can there be a life after this one he said how can we be experiencing the results of our past life who was there in a last life to see what you did who is there in this life to give you the results and Prabhupada said at that time I was a student and he was my teacher so I could not say anything so at different times in his life Prabhupada said how is the temple in Edinburgh do we still have a temple in Edinburgh so here he was now he was the teacher and here was a student, and the student said, Excuse me, you've told this story and you've told that story. He said, Is it fact or is it exaggeration? And Prabhupada just looked at him and he said, This is what Prabhupada said. And I heard this from Kishore, who was in the class. Prabhupada looked at him and he said, He said, Do you think that I would tell you fairy stories? He <laughs> that expression. Do you think that I would tell you fairy stories? Huh? I think he said a similar thing at different times too. As I'm not exaggerating, he says, rather the power of the Holy Name is the seed for all the personal transformations we see around the world. As one of the elders here, and looking at my elders, we remember a time when there was hardly an Iskon in Germany, hardly an ISKCON in Paris, you see. And now we have an ISKCON in Kuwait, an ISKCON in Moscow. Thank you, Mundakini, for going all the way to Russia in those early days. (laughs) We have... I remember a time when people used to say to me, how many temples... This is very nice that you're in the West, but do you have any temples in India? And I would remember the list in the Back to Godhead magazine and I would say very proudly, I would say, yes, we have temples in India. We have 17 temples in India. And now the number is something like 200. So many. So all around the world. And it all came from one person who sat under a tree with a bongo drum and chanted, Hare Krishna, Hari Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Rama Hare Rama, Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And really, that's all we have. We have three things in our family business that has pushed forward this movement. We have prashadam. Hooray! We have Srila Prabhupada's books. Hooray! And we have the holy name of the Lord. But food doesn't become prashadam unless you chant. And the books don't become intelligible or accessible or relevant to your life unless you chant. Therefore, the root of everything is the Hare Krishna Mahamantra for your personal transformation and for the transformation of the world. It is all, as one gentleman said, it is Hare Krishna. He said, well, he, was, he was just passing away, just passing away. It was 30 seconds before he died. And he looked at the devotee who was by his bedside and he said, he said, now it is Hare Krishna all the way. <laughs> so today you are all in good health. You are all in good health. But from today it is Hare Krishna all the way. So quickly to the last ones. Namno balad yasya hi buddhir na tasya yamair hi shudhi in uh, medieval archery in England. If they miss the target, they would say, "Oh, I have sinned." Sin in medieval English talk means that I have missed the target. We have been given a target by God to live as decent people. When we don't f- hit that target, we have sinned. This is sin. So sin be also becomes tri- translated to papa, and uh, that is a. The idea is that we should try to counteract our sin by doing something which is the opposite of it. However, when we are chanting the Hare Krishna Mantra, we cannot reduce the chanting of the Hare Krishna Mantra to merely being a cleansing product. In your cupboard at home, you have many cleansing products, something for the sink, something for the shower, something for the cooker. If you treat the Hare Krishna Mantra like a cleansing product for the heart, only, and this allows you to repeat the bad habits of the past, then Prabhupada here, he says, this is the greatest offence of the lotus feet of Harinam. From today, we say, no more sin, Hare Krishna, all the way. Otherwise, Prabhupada said, it is like the the bathing of an elephant, and then, as soon as the elephant comes out of the water, it blows dust uh, all over itself. Not very helpful. There are many pious and religious activities that we can do in the field of dharma. Dharma vratatyaga hutadi sarva shubha kriya samyam api pramada. To consider the chanting of Hare Krishna to be one of the auspicious ritualistic activities. Rituals simply means, ceremony simply means, when you take what is inside you, the connection that you wish to have with God and you extrapolate that outside you in the form of a ritual. Sipping of water, chanting of mantra, it's all outside you. The coconut, the bananas, the grains, the fire, the sticks, the samagri, everything is outside you. All that you've done is take what's inside your heart and place it outside you. But there are different types of ritualistic activity, and these are normally for elevation to a higher state within this life, the defeat of one's enemies or one's weaknesses or one's bad astrological influences in this life or elevation to another planet. If we consider the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra to be simply one of those many, many activities which have been suggested as a ritualistic performance, we will also sin. We will also make make a mistake, miss the mark. Uh, Similarly, if we think that oh, today we're going to have a fire sacrifice. Don't think that this fire sacrifice is the same as the ritualistic auspicious activity mentioned that we're not supposed to do. Sometimes people come to me and they say, well, chanting of Hare Krishna is the process for the age of Kali and fire sacrifices are not. So why do I need to do a fire yoga at my initiation? No, this is a, these things are the fire yoga that we do today is not a ritualistic activity, but it is a a decoration for the sankalpa that you have made. And everything that we do is for pure devotional service. So when devotees become married, that fire is for pure devotional service. This fire is for pure devotional service. And any time you see a ceremony or a ritual, don't think, ah, this is number eight. This is a ritualistic activity some water, some fire, some sticks. I have nothing to do with this. From now on, just don't know. Just like if you have a diamond and you have a beautiful gold ring, when the diamond is set in the gold ring, it's safe and secure. The diamond is not gold, the gold is not diamond, but one performs a setting and a security for the other so that you don't lose it. So everything that we do which appears to be ritualistic is to enhance and keep the chanting of the holy name safe. Finally, finally, It is an offense to preach the glories of the Holy Name to the faithless. Well, what does that mean? We are a preaching mission. We are a preaching mission. That means always we are speaking to people who have no faith. What does that mean? Well, it means two things. Srila Prabhupada was upstairs and someone had invited this famous folk singer named Donovan. And Donovan came with his girlfriend to meet Srila Prabhupada. And they were interested for a while. And Prabhupada was speaking and the girlfriend was sort of tapping him. She wasn't particularly interested. And then Prabhupada looked at Shamsunda and asked him, he said, can you explain something? Because Donovan had asked the key question, what does the chanting of Hare Krishna do? So Shamsunda was explaining this, and then this, and then this, and this, and he ended up with the gopis in Vrindavan and the Rasa-lila. Prabhupada was looking at him. And then Donovan and his girlfriend said, thank you, got up and left the room, had a little prasadam, went out the door. So Prabhupada turned to Shamsun and he said, oh, you have told him too much. He said, this is the ninth offense to the holy name of Krishna, you cannot tell too much too soon. You see, in our work of life, yoga, Prabhupada describes yoga as a series of steps. It's a rurukshu, a ladder. And Patanjali Muni in his yoga sutras, he said, first comes yam niyam, the do's and don'ts. Then you sit down nicely, you do the asana. Then comes pranayam. otherwise you'll never control your mind. Okay? Then comes pratyahara and... Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi—all these items—and so it is an eight, an Ashtaanga system. So similarly, when people are making an intellectual adjustment to Krishna consciousness, they need to come step by step. Need to come step by step. Otherwise, they'll also think this is exaggeration. This, these are fairy stories. You see, and we don't want that. It is logical. It is rational, and it is something that is directly experienced. Okay. Finally, if you've heard the first nine, and still you remain attached, if you've heard the glories of the holy name, and you still remain attached, and the manifestation of your attachment is sleepiness, laziness, enchanting, inattentiveness, or just you know, just a fusion of the mind and the the beads, of leaving the holy name out, this is not. Prabhupada says this does not show respect and love for the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra, and that is an offense. He said, perhaps, (laughs) when I read this first, when I was 17 years old, I thought, well, this is something to look forward to. Prabhupada described the eight transformations that come to a person who chants the Hare Krishna mantra. First, there's a choking up of the voice, and then there's goosebumps, and then there's tears in the eyes, and then there's a shaking. Sweating, fainting, and I thought, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this." And then Prabhupada put a codicil at the end. He said, "He said perhaps all the eight symptoms of ecstasy may not come immediately, (laughs) but there should be enough to keep you going until the next week." In other words, if you really don't, if you really not, if you really hadn't experienced anything with the Hare Krishna mantra in the years and all the time and all the effort that you've put into it, you would not be sitting here today. But Maya has some tests. Don't think that your mentors or your tormentors were the were the worst people that you had to satisfy. In order to get to Vrindavan you have to get through the Kshetrapala. The Kshetrapala is where Lord Shiva installs himself and Lord Shiva always carries the trident. It's a little different from the trident of Mother Amba. She will, you know, the Adi Botik and the Adi Atmic and the Adi Devik, and these are the problems. But we will be tested. We'll always be tested. Uh, so when the tests come and the ecstasy fades, that is the time to think, actually, what do I need to know right now? What do I need to do right now? How can I move forward? How can I move forward? So this is the this is thing. Thank you very much. These are the ten offenses. I commend them seriously to you. I ask you to avoid them in your life, not just while you're chanting Hare Krishna, because that's just an hour and a half or two hours a day. It's every day. These are part of the regulative principles of being a devotee. It's not just, you know, the four that you're going to say verbally, it's these ten. These are the secret ones, okay? Hare Krishna.